Hey everybody, here to let you know that due to popular demand, Imperial Yeast has decided to extend the availability of their latest seasonal strain, A37 Pog, through September of 2020. The folks I know who have used this stuff absolutely love it. So what is it? A37 Pog is a single Kvike isolate known to produce tons of guava, passion fruit, pineapple, and orange aromas reminiscent of the classic juice blend. Like all Kvike strains, it is highly versatile and can be fermented on the warmer end of the spectrum to produce tropical aromas, or you can ferment it cooler to produce beers with cleaner ester profiles. Grab yourself some A37 Pog before it's too late, and make sure to check out all Imperial Yeast has to offer at imperialyeast.com. The most common source of fermentable sugar when brewing a batch of beer is, of course, barley malt, which there are enough varieties of to allow for brewing a bunch of different styles, thankfully. Uh, It's amazing stuff, as any brewer will attest. However, it is not the only grain one can use to make beer. In fact, there's evidence of people brewing with oats as far back as, I believe, the 1500s, though these days it's associated with styles like oatmeal stout and, of course, New England IPA. You're listening to the Brewlosophy Podcast. I'm your host, Marshall Schott. And the focus of today's episode isn't just on the use of oats in brewing, but the way in which they can be treated prior to being used. Yeah, this one is going to be about toasted oats specifically. So usually uh, flaked oats, we see a ton of use in a lot of different styles. And like you said, like oats themselves have been used for a very, very long time. But uh, toasted oats are something that, you know, we I don't see tons and tons of resources on, but it's something every now and then that comes up or creeps up as a, a way either to maybe add some complexity or toasted character to an imperial stout or all the way to, you know, making sure that your oatmeal stout has the like uh, some oatmeal and like rich cookie like flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's it's something that I think we definitely is worth exploring more, um, like just the home toasting and the home uh, like kind of it adds a little bit to the uh, the terroir, right? Like the yeah. uh, the, you know, the own personal touch to it. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about it. And it's something that I, I definitely was willing, like really excited to do for the experiment. Like it's it was a blast, but it's also something I, you know, it was it's always been hearsay. It's always been mm-hmm. just like things I've come across on forums. Never anything that I have researched in any way or anything that I've seen like, you know, serious quote unquote materials out there. For. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, I like I like what you were saying. It adds another DIY component to, to the yeah. uh, brewing process. And, you know, from pretty early on in my brewing life, the idea of using oats was really appealing to me, admittedly, because I uh, kind of associated it with things like oatmeal cookies and granola, which I absolutely love. Uh, over the years, I've used oats quite a bit, though I've only ever toasted them once. I'm looking forward to chatting about that experience with you, Matt, as well as the impact using toasted oats is said to have on beer and the results of your experiment on the topic. All right. If you're a fan of this show and you'd like to receive a reward for your support, consider becoming a patron of Brewlosophy over at patreon.com slash brewlosophy, where you make a small pledge and receive rewards like access to unpublished contributor recipes, unique discounts at yakimavalleyhops.com, and an invitation to a monthly live Q&A session with somebody in the brewing world. Coming up in September is Haas's associate sensory scientist, Jeff Daly, who was on our recent episode about Lupamax hops, and his colleague, Alejandro Gonzalez, the uh, brewing solutions specialist at Haas. These dudes know their hops. If you love hops, you're going to want to be a part of this event. Uh, just make sure that you make your pledge at patreon.com slash brewlosophy no later than September 25th, 2020 to be a part of it. All past sessions with folks like John Kimmich from The Alchemist, author Scott Janish from Sapwood Cellars, and many more are stored on our private Facebook page, so you can go back and watch them whenever you like. Again, that's patreon.com slash brewlosophy. And if you wouldn't mind letting us know what you think about this show by leaving a rating and review an Apple podcast or wherever it is you listen to podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. We've been seeing a lot of those come through and, and want to thank all the people who are uh, leaving us such kind words. All right. Feedback this week is brought to you by Brewers Hardware, who specialize in tri-clover compatible sanitary fittings, conical fermenters, kettles, and brew stands. Brewers Hardware offers a variety of unique items for home and craft brewers, including high-quality stainless fittings at great prices with super-fast shipping. Learn more at brewershardware.com. And don't forget to mention Brewlosophy at checkout to receive a free gift. Again, that's brewershardware.com. Listener Jason L. from Wisconsin had feedback on our Brews Views episode on Going Pro. So this was a while back. Jason says, I especially enjoyed listening to Malcolm talk about his time at Miller Coors and Fatheads. I appreciate it when people who have worked in the brewing industry talk about breweries for real, oh, sorry, as real for-profit businesses. I think homebrewers sometimes have this romanticized image of what it means to go pro. 
Oddly enough, even referring to opening a small business as, quote, going pro makes it sound like homebrewers are amateur athletes just waiting to get drafted into the big leagues. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Many also have this perspective that employees of large macro breweries aren't real brewers or don't make real beer. The, the reality couldn't be further from the truth. They haven't been duping millions of people into buying their products for decades. They make a product people want, and they do it exceptionally well. Uh, another thing I think often gets overlooked is non-brewing positions at breweries. Uh, let's see, mid to large size breweries all have supply chains, IT departments, HR departments, marketing, sales, etc. You can get a job in a brewery and still sit in the air conditioning. I was very mm-hmm. close to doing this myself recently. If you're passionate about brewing, but your skills are in other areas, this might be the path for you. The best jobs I've ever had were applying my expertise to help grow a company that did something I was passionate about. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, point to end on. Like that's, I think I agree with a lot is like, you know, utilizing your skill set and uh, being in an area you're passionate about. Um, I I definitely agree that a lot of home brewers I know romanticize the idea of working in a brewery um, or romanticize the idea of owning a brewery. Um, and I mean, that's why we see a lot of breweries fail, right? Not necessarily yeah, yeah. because they're home brewers specifically, but because there's a lot more to a brewery than making, I think I've always seen like owning a brewery is like, like 98% or it's like 2% making beer, 98% everything else. Like yeah. you're running a business. Right. Um, and definitely I, I do think that romanticized idea exists. And I know a lot of home brewers who make better beer than professional brewers. Um, I know professional brewers who unfortunately make very bad beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just like the situation because the barrier to entry for beer is money. Yeah. Uh, like the barrier to entry to opening a brewery is having the money to do so. To do it um, right. There, yeah, exactly. There is no yeah. there is no inherent quality control process in the fact like, oh, I'm a pro brewer. It's like, hey, good <laughs> for you. But like, are you making good beer? Yeah. Um, and I mean, but also like to say a lot of home brewers make bad beer as well. And a lot of brewers make exceptional beer. And it's just that's just the way it is. Like there's a craft aspect to it uh, that it also is very it can be difficult at a professional scale like the professional scale of making beer it isn't just like hey you're you make really good beer on your five gallon so now you're going to make incredible beer on your five barrel seven barrel uh and that's a small system yeah. right yeah so i i'm 100 in agreement with it i love when people talk about the difficulties and the pitfalls of breweries um because i've always had my own romanticized idea like oh wouldn't this be great but then i like <laughs> either do the math or i like think about the days i'm like actually probably not like yeah. i you know i've worked in breweries and it's um and, and mostly just like in packaging lines and like looking at like quality control stuff and i mean it's it's hard like it's it's hundreds of degree it's it's not hundreds of degrees it's but it's it's incredibly hot uh during the summer in which is really difficult it's a lot it's like just it's a lot of manual labor which yeah, is fine it's hard like, work. there's nothing inherently yeah. wrong with that but it's it's very hard and it's a business like right you it's a very difficult business there's a huge supply chain it's like it's very it's hard to run and manage so yeah kudos to people who can do it and to the people who love it and the people who are able to do so because i'm thankful that i get to like go to uh local breweries and like have a couple of beers and do yeah. that, which wouldn't be possible without them. But 100% spot on comment. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with it. Yeah. The, I, all I'm thinking now is uh, what, you know, how, if we could carve out some space for a psychologist in a brewery, you know, I, I, I know a lot of brewers and they could probably use a little help. I, mean, I, don't know. <laughs> I honestly, man, like that kind of stuff, industrial design is a, is a really big field. Yeah, like yeah, and there's, hey. there's reasons that, uh, you know, spaces are designed in such a way. And, uh, but I honestly, I, I do think like actually good question for you is like maybe a follow up like if you personally I think that if any position needs to be implemented within breweries more frequently it's uh it's it's dedicated quality control oh like, amen. I, I do yeah. think that we yeah. need people who are dedicated to working on um uh, making sure that like you know just uh detection of off flavors um process review yeah yeah uh, process agree. streamlining and optimization uh, th- those kinds of things like should probably be a dedicated position. It's someone yeah. in a brewery who does that and not just like just the brewer who's has to carry every single position and do absolutely everything for 30 grand a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you yeah. know what I mean? So, but that's personal opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And so, you know, something I really value is honesty and oddly, I feel like it's easy for those of us with any amount of public exposure to, I guess I play it safe uh, by not always being totally truthful and transparent. Uh, one thing I've always strived for with brewlosophy is just to keep things as real as possible. Um, not really worry about maintaining the expected appearance, but just being us. And I agree that Malcolm sharing his experience on that episode was really cool. So thanks for the feedback, Jason. Yeah. Uh, we actually 
actually have a few more Going Pro episodes planned for the future that offer different perspectives from people who who made the step to go pro in their in their different capacities. Um, I think people are really going to dig that. All right, if you have show feedback, you can send it to feedback at brewlosophy.com or drop us a note on social media. A few years ago, my family headed up to Santa Rosa for a little weekend vacation with some friends of ours, and very high on the list of things to do, obviously, was visit Russian River Brewing Company, which is in downtown Santa Rosa. At the time, all I really knew them for was Pliny the Elder and their lineup of amazing sour beer. Uh, My buddy Chris and I ended up spending four hours on the patio there, uh, during which we sampled pretty much everything they had on tap. (laughs) One of the beers that I... And that's a lot of beer, by the way. One of the beers that I I took a whole pint of was STS Pills, which is a Keller Pills that I was absolutely blown away by. Uh, You know, you expect Pliny the Elder Brewery to make awesome hoppy beer, but their lager was fantastic. Uh, Up until recently, the only way I was able to get STS Pills was either by driving all the way to Santa Rosa or having a buddy who did that bring some back for me. But now that they distribute in my area, I have ample access, which is wonderful. Well, I recently picked up a bottle to share with my friends. One Minute Beer Review with Jersey and Tim. No R2. Timmy, Tim, Tim. This smells like weed. How do you know? Allegedly. Well, it's good. doesn't taste anything like it smells. Very smooth. Yeah, usually, from what I've heard, it usually is. You Just drink your beer. Is it beer or is it weed? It's beer. All right. Uh, Oh, that's good. That's good. It's good. Is there weed in here? No. This beer is better than Marshall. Eh. That's really good. It's really good. Timmy, it's really good. What is it, though? We're learned men. Not very clear. It's not. But it's good. Again, I don't know what it is. Kind of like pine salt a little bit, though. I was worried. I didn't want to be made to look like a fool. But, you know, now that I realize it, let's be made to look like fools. This is a... FPA. It's a FPA. FPA. And it's got a little bit of the bufu on the FPA. I don't care if I'm wrong. Here's to you. Cheers to wrong. you, Timmy. Let's, hey, and let's put it down because it's delicious. Right. Whoever made this, it's delicious. It's very good. Well, that's good, dude. Hmm, not bad. It's good. Probably, what do you give it? I'm going to break from the Jersey Tim's. What are you going to do? Marshall's. Oh. If I were Marshall, I would give it. Ooh, this is so difficult. I get, I give this out of 10 Marshall's. I give this six Marshall's. I'm going to give it a solid seven. Weed? Uh, uh, I, I I promise you this beer was not skunked. Uh, it's in a brown bottle. It was kept in a cooler. It was only, I believe it was two weeks old at the time that the guys did the review. Uh, I, I do pick up a pretty noticeable noble hop character uh, in, the, in in STS pills, but mm-hmm. I, and I don't, maybe it could be misinterpreted as we'd like, but I didn't pick it up that way. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I would give STS pills a solid nine marshals. Uh, it's one of my favorites <laughs> out there. So Matt, you ever try STS? No, I'm not familiar with it, and I was actually going to ask you about, like, is it, is it supposed to be uh, a little bit of, a like, a dank character or a weed character to it um, in that? But I, I guess not, and it might be, it might just be that confusion with a fresh noble hop character. I guess, um, Which yeah. I've, I've never really associated as, like, weed-like or Me dank. Me either, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it sounds fantastic, and I am in no way surprised that um, Russian River does... Uh, ex- you know, like does good lagers, especially because like given their hoppy beers, like they better have a pretty tight cold side process. Oh, so, like, they do. I'm, I'd yeah. love to have a I, I could go for a Pilsner right now. I'm not drinking much right now, right now at the moment, but a uh, a nice lager would be fantastic in this hot Illinois weather that we've been having. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are. Um, I love seeing these craft breweries doing more and more Pilsners and lagers and and uh, Russian River. I mean, what do you expect? They're one of the best breweries out there. So fantastic beer. STS Pils. If you get the opportunity to drink some do it all right if you'd like to have your beer or any other fermented beverage you feel like sending in reviewed by jersey and tim you can email me marshall at brewlosophy.com and we'll get you all set up we got to get to a quick break give some love to our sponsors we'll be right back after these messages after a long brew day the last thing i want to do is waste more time chilling wort I've tried so many different options, and ultimately, I settled on the super-efficient immersion chillers made by Jaded Brewing. With the King Cobra and Hydra, I'm able to chill my entire batch of work, from boiling to just a few degrees above groundwater temperature, in as little as six minutes. If an immersion chiller is right for your brewery, then do yourself a favor and check out all of the rad options Jaded Brewing has to offer at jadedbrewing.com, and be sure to let them know Brewlosophy sent you.
compact and simple to use with a small footprint for brewing indoors, the Grainfather makes it easy for you to brew professional quality beers at home. The Grainfather is an all-in-one brewing system that lets you brew all-grain beer in a single compact stainless steel unit. It uses an electric heating element and pump to maintain a constant temperature and to circulate the wort during the mashing and cooling stages. It also comes with a counterflow chiller to reduce chilling times and produce high quality wort. And now, with the addition of their conical fermenter, the Grainfather takes things one step further by offering homebrewers state-of-the-art temperature-controlled fermentation just like commercial breweries use. And with the Grainfather Recipe Creator and Connect app, you can easily design a recipe, sync your brewing system with your phone, and then just sit back and relax as the app takes over and assures that you maintain your scheduled mash temps and boil schedule. Head to Grainfather.com to purchase your all-in-one brewing system today and to sign up for their free recipe creator tool. Once more, head on over to Grainfather.com, that's Grainfather.com, and get started today. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supplies, the largest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. They offer exclusive malts, yeast, and more from local artisans, as well as award-winning recipe kits. They also sell professional brewing gear and cask equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Most ingredients are available by the ounce, plus Atlantic Brew Supply has an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew. Orders are processed same day, and two-day shipping is guaranteed for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order using promo code. BrewPod. That's B-R-U-P-O-D at AtlanticBrewSupply.com. It wasn't too long after I started brewing that I was introduced to the idea of using oats in place of a portion of barley malt. Uh, I was still using extract and was interested in brewing a tasty low ABV dark beer, so the dude at the homebrew shop, his name was Mars, suggested an oatmeal stout and hooked me up with some flaked oats for steeping. Since then, I've used hundreds of pounds of oats in various styles. Currently, oats are perhaps most associated with New England IPA, at least that's what I think of nowadays, but their use in brewing actually spans many centuries. Yeah, I definitely they've been used for a really long time because if there's anything we can say is true of people, which I, I think I've said this before, is that societies learn how to make alcohol. And we do it pretty much without with anything we find on hand, right? Yep. Um and that's why that's why we see a lot like old recipes with tons of molasses and old recipe it's why we have chicha, which is like chewed corn. That's right. Um we it's we learn to make alcohol as a society. And you know, I'm going to draw uh, right now, especially in the historical aspect, on our good friend uh, Chino, who uh, gave actually a presentation titled Brewing with Oats. Chino talks a bit about just the use of oats having evidence as far back as like 400 uh, before Common Era. So really, really long time ago. Uh, but there's definitely more concrete examples of this happening. Um, uh, a style be- uh, called a style of beer brewed at the Monastery of St. Galen or Galen um, in Switzerland of 830 Common Era. And uh that's a beer style called Coventus, which is actually uh, the last runnings of other beer mixed with an oat wort and then huh. fermented. Um, so, and, and again, like, I mean, this is something like it's very high. It's higher in calories. Um, it's definitely, it was more like a common beer, like a table beer. So just lower in alcohol in general. Yeah. Um, and that's all like the, the far back things. And uh, I, again, highly recommend Chino's presentation. But like you mentioned, Marshall, we know definitely that oats were used, uh, maybe not flaked oats necessarily, but oats were used uh, in very popular in Scotland in like the mid 1700s. Um, and then definitely seen in English brewing as well. And so it's it's similar to our other discussions. Like people learn to make alcohol. We've been using, we've been, whatever we've got on hand, wheat, oat, barley like all of it it ends up being something that we can turn into a fermentable yeah now now okay so so comparing oats to or or thinking of oats next to barley what are some of the similarities and some of the differences my understanding is that oats can be malted in the same way that barley can but there are obviously some distinct differences between these two cereal grains yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely like we've and you know, malted oats are out there for sure. Uh, we see flaked oats a lot, but like oats have a much higher uh, husk content. So especially like when you see malted oats and stuff like they they are uh, typically don't have like the same uh, laudering problems that like flaked oats do. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when we see people using these oats in beer, especially compared to barley, is that they're 
they're most often not malted in any way. Like we almost always see flaked oats. And so a slight oat characteristic is typical from them and uh, typically, you know, using low percentages, which is pretty much anything under 15%, which wouldn't be low for anything else, but that's just how neutral oats tend to be. Uh Um, But under that under that percentage, like flaked oats just contribute, they're, they're higher in beta glucan content. Mm-hmm. So like they are going to contribute or typically the reason we would use them is like, they're going to contribute more viscosity uh, to the, the, the mouthfeel of the beer. Um, they're going to have a really, really low impact, potentially just a slight nutty characteristic on the, uh, the aroma, like maybe a little slight oat, but again, like very, very neutral um, and just increase body a little bit. But for the most part, they're, they're really, uh, they're not going to contribute as much to just, especially like flake dose, they're not going to contribute as much to the sugar content. They're really used just for that beta glucan content. Typically they're going to contribute that, that wart, the beer viscosity. Right. And, and that beta glucan content, like you said, is a, is a body slash mouthfeel thing. Um, yeah. We've all experienced if you use, especially uh, where I, where I experience the most beta glucan impact and, and, and there will be, you know, future shows on this as well as using rye. Yeah. Um, Oats for me, uh, one of the things, you know, again, in the earlier days, one of the things was you get a oatmeal flavor, which, okay, that makes sense. But then it also contributes to things like foam retention, right? Uh, because of the protein content, this is at least the stuff that I was told. Now, just to, just to hit on it one more time, you, you, you mentioned there's malted oats, but then I think probably the most popular form of oats in brewing is flaked oats and the the way that the oats are prepared is pretty important in how you have to use them in your uh, when you're brewing now just correct me if i'm wrong on this matt malted oats the most popular i guess uh uh, or uh, way to get those is golden naked oats right my understanding is that golden naked oats are just malted oats right that that would be the common one that we see right there's there's like some specialty malt like uh, smaller maltsters out there who are doing like some specialty things that i think are really cool with oats but yeah that would be like the most common malted oat okay I've never used golden naked oats. How weird is that? I've ne- I, I, a grain that I've never touched before. I need. I want to get my hands on some because I've heard good things. But I've never used it either. But I will say, like, there is oat malt for mm-hmm. sure. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's oat malts out there, and there are def- there are people who are doing um, like a darker oat malt, like almost like uh, trying to make a not like a roasted barley necessarily, but just different different flavors of these oat malts. Like, it's starting to see a little more popularity as some more small maltsters are popping up, and I'm really excited to try those. Like, yeah, I think that yeah. I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, me too. Now, flaked oats. Let's let's just before we move into talking about toasting and how you go about doing it, because there are some pretty specific things you want to make sure you do when you toast your own oats. Um, flaked oats are are they're uh, they're neat, and there's a lot of flaked grains out there. You can buy flaked barley, you can get flaked oats, you can get flaked rye, flaked rice. Um, what does the flaking process do, and because and, and and or maybe even how is it done? Because it is pretty interesting, I think. So the way that typically works is that you know pieces of oat. Uh, are essentially rolled uh, so that they go through a drying process. They're steamed. Uh, they are flattened and like they go through, basically they are pre-gelatinized. Mm-hmm. So when we, and I know we've talked about that before on the show, but when you have oats, they need to go, and I mean pretty much anything, like a starch, like you need to go through a gelatinization process in order for those starches uh, to be fermentable or right. not fermentable but in order for them in order to like get uh, be able to uh, take advantage of those starches in the grain you need to be gelatinized so instead of doing some kind of a cereal grain a cereal rest we will use flaked oats that are pre-gelatinized and those are typically uh, you'll spit on like either the quick oats or if you just get brewing oats typically like a flaked oats is going to be pre-gelatinized right, right but once they are steamed flattened uh they are uh, ready, ready to be used in like wide variety of goods, really popular. Uh, and they are usually, uh, they're, they're de-husked, uh, when they go through that process. So when you hear like rolled oats, typically, uh, rolled oats are oats that have been, you know, de-husked, steamed, and then flattened. Right. Um, and those, those rolled, especially like we mentioned earlier, oats actually have a higher grain or a higher husk ratio that compared to barley. Uh, so an oat malt won't necessarily have those same laudering prog- problems. But when we talk about like the cons of using flaked oats, especially large percentages of flaked mm-hmm. oats, one of them actually, Marshall, that you mentioned is like at like a, above 10%. And this is actually uh, Scott Janish has a really, really exceptional, as always, he has an exceptional article on something. Yeah. Um, but Scott has this article that uh, is, is out and I also highly recommend uh, which I think it's called uh, a case for brewing with oats, but he, he published it a while ago. Excellent. Uh, it's a great, yeah. 
Yeah, great article. He actually references quite a bit some of the research that suggests that anything over 10% uh, usage flaked oats is going to, or of unmalted oats is going to start to contribute uh, detrimental uh, compounds to head retention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, start to, and I think that is um, from impact of various levels of unmalted oats on the quality of mashes, warts, and beers mm-hmm. uh, by Schnittenbaumer. I'm not going to be like, I think it's Schnittenbaumer at all, but uh, that's in Scott's article. Highly recommend it. Um, but then another is that like the laudering problem, right? If you use a lot of flaked oats, it's going to, because like those husks have been removed, you're going to uh, have laudering difficulties. It's going to gum up the mash, right? Um, That's not a problem for people who are typically using a brew bag or something like that, but definitely, or it can also be solved with rice holes, but it is definitely um, a problem outside for the oats that have been flaked. Right. Something, something to keep in mind if you're going to do high, uh, high oats and you're using a, a more of a traditional brewing Absolutely. Um, you know, brewing regime where you're not, you know, like brewing a bag or brewing a basket. Now, just to because I, I like really dumbed down explanations. The the flaking process, <laughs> <laughs> the flaking process essentially uh, makes the oats able to be used in beer without malting. Right. So that's when you flake a, a cereal grain, what you're doing is you're, you're you're it's going through that hot steaming process before being rolled out. Um, and, and so that makes it accessible to the yeast for yep. the yeast to convert or the, the, the mash to convert and then the yeast to, to ultimately ferment that. So um, flaking is great. That's why I think it's so common. It's so commonly used in, in brewing. Now, uh, my understanding is that oats uh, are, are contribute about the same uh, amount of sh- fermentable sugars as barley, maybe a tad less, but it's not like you're g- having a huge hit uh, when you when you swap out a portion of of uh, barley for oats, right? Yeah, they are about the same uh, gravity contribution. Um, I, it's somewhere in the ballpark of like 32 ppg, uh, but the uh, sorry uh, points points per gallon, uh, but <laughs> points the, per pound yeah, per they, gallon, they, yeah, <laughs> points per pound per gallon, yep. Uh, and they are yeah, they're they're about the same. Like you definitely can't swap them out one for one, right? Like we can't uh, we can't just swap out a uh, flaked oats, a bunch of flaked oats for uh, barley, but absolutely they uh, definitely, I mean, part of that is due to uh, diastatic power and stuff like that. Right, but right, yes, right. definitely. Yeah, but definitely uh, they, they do contribute uh, significant gravity points, at least rela- in relation to, uh, you know, malt. Yeah. So uh, the, the reason I say that is because in, in my own experience, again, I've used oats quite a bit over the years. And usually what I'll do is when I, this is, I have a weird way. We should do an experience show on, on recipe design and how we go about doing yeah. it. But the, usually what I do is I start off with, uh, I, I just put in like 12 pounds of, you know, pale, pale two row, you know, and then, and then from there I'll swap out portions of that with other malts and grains. And uh, when I do flaked oats, it's typically doesn't change the expected OG very much. That's, that's the reason I come to that. Now let's get to the meat of the matter here and, and toasting oats, because as we know, uh, you know, you, you take pale bar, you know, pale two row barley malt and you can toast it to various degrees and get so many different flavors and and uh, you know, characteristics out of out of barley malt. Well, you can kind of do the same with toasted oats or with with flaked oats as well. And we both have experience doing that. When you toast oats, first off, Matt, what are you, what is your aim? What are you hoping to get out of it? And then how do you do it? Because I, I know that there's a, you don't want to burn them, you know, but you want to do it right. So. <laughs> right, absolutely, yeah. So honestly, like before this experiment, I'd never done it. I, I this this. Uh, when we did the experiment, this was my first time going for it, um, especially just because I'd seen it so frequently that when you toast oats, like just have them toasted yourself, that you are going to contribute more and richer, like nutty biscuity characteristics from those oats instead of just like a, a neutral, maybe somewhat muted oatmeal character. Um, and that also you're going to get a more, like it's almost a cookie-like kind of character from right. from these toasted oats, right? So basically when you go through, they and they get darker. You go through the Maillard reaction. Uh, and when those sugars and, you know, it's, uh, sorry, Maillard reaction is like when sugars and amino acids uh, interact. It's like when things get dark, when you toast something, yeah. right? When it gets darker. Nice and, and toasty it and good. The- <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I use that color change as sort of a benchmark for how, you know, how toasted these oats are and how much flavor change there's potentially be but going through that mired reaction is what causes that nutty toasty character and i know some people actually who do toasted oats for like oatmeal 
uh, and we'll, we'll have like a toasted oat oatmeal. Uh, and it's supposed to, supposed to be just like a little richer, a little nuttier, more mm. biscuit characters. Sounds and a little good. bit of like cookie. Like, yeah, it does sound good, doesn't it? Mm. Should have done that as like a, a side portion of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Take a handful. But, <laughs> but that's that's definitely like, and people say that same contribution ends up in beers. So especially oatmeal stouts, uh, brown ales, things that might potentially benefit from that biscuit, biscuity, nutty character. Mm-hmm. Toasting your oats is an option. Now, I do this, uh, I followed the process that was put together and detailed out by Derek Springer, uh, who you know, Marshall, but over on his blog, Five Blades, uh, Five Blades Brewing, he has an excellent article that kind of walks through the toasted oats process. Yeah. And I use that just to make sure I was in the right place because I know Derek did a lot of research for that article. And it just, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and simple, but I did have some like pitfalls that I, I found out <laughs> through the process. Uh, you know, setting the oven to 300 degrees Fahrenheit or 149C, uh, get it preheated, lining a baking sheet with some parchment paper, and then just spreading out the oats evenly. Um, I used like the Quaker Instant Oats because they're pre-gelatinized. Uh, I... Hi, this is one of my pitfalls. I highly recommend that oat layer being a bit thinner. Um, if if the oat, if the oat layer is too thick, it takes so much longer to get a consistent toast on that batch um, because you are offend, effectively pop, popping them in the oven and then every 15 minutes take the oats out stir them yeah. level them out again and then put them back in and you rinse and repeat this process until they are at your desired toast level right uh you know i think derek had reported it taking like 45 minutes to an hour uh with his and i i had so many oats in mine i think it took closer to two hours for me to be done <laughs> to get um, to that color the color exactly, you were looking for exactly yeah, to yeah. get to that significant color change which again like maybe a small pro tip keep keep on hand some of the untoasted oats just around so that you can do a quick color comparison. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you're like, if you're like me and you're colorblind um, or you just have a, <laughs> if, or you have a terrible memory for color, uh, it having a comparison is super helpful. But again, like having a thin oat layer is super useful. Or if you just, you have three hours to do it, then do it. Like you can do as much as you want, but just make sure it's, you're going to commit that time Yeah. and that your house is going to smell really richly like oat. Oat cookies, basically. It's going to be, um, but also a little bit acrid in my experience. Like there was like kind of an acrid uh, character to it yes. as well. Yeah. Okay. So story time. Many, many years yeah. ago, my, my local homebrew club ran a competition where all of the participants had to submit uh, beers of the same exact style. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and in this particular quarter, it was English mild. Uh, how exciting was that, by the way? Such. A, by the way, amazing style. Amazing style. Well, Underrepresented. So good. <laughs> so many British beers. Uh, well, wanting to do something to make mine stand out from the crowd, uh, you know, because you're brewing for competition, I decided not only to swap out a portion of the barley malt with flaked oats, but to toast those oats ahead of time. Uh, you know, my hope was that it would add some complimentary, like, cookie-like character to this beer. Now, like you, I followed Derek's, uh, uh, you know, his, his how-to on his blog, yeah. Five Blades Brewing. Uh, a couple weeks before brewing the beer, I toasted the oats in my oven using a pretty, uh, you know, again, this, the approach is very simple. Uh, yeah. Basically what you did, Matt. Uh, it, and it did make my house smell good, but also I completely agree. There was this, like, acrid... Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It was almost like, like smelling acid almost. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's not, it's not burnt. Like it's definitely not, no. that, but it is like a, a bit of an acrid character to it. Um, and honestly, that's actually, you mentioned that you did it like a couple of weeks before. Did you do the whole storm in a paper bag? Bit? I sure did. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted go. to bring exactly. that up. And yeah. so that's the theory, right? Is that due to the, the like volatile oils are present in flat in freshly toasted oats and that using them immediately, like in, if you don't wait in like storm in a paper bag, uh, and give t- time for those volatile oils to dissipate that you could potentially be contributing those volatile oils into your beer. Like right. if you took them out of the oven and then immediately started mashing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's something I, I think would be a cool ex- a follow-up experiment to this. Um, I would love to see like, let's do that again. Um, and see like freshly toasted versus, um, versus like toasted uh, like three weeks ago. Yeah. I ended up, uh, I was talking with Chino during the like recipe selection for this and I can talk about that later, but I kind of went back and forth on, do I do it immediately? Do I wait the three weeks? Ended up waiting the three weeks just because I don't know necessarily if those oils would be present or uh, <laughs> would, would have time to dissipate in the beer. Cause Derek does mention that he's done it with like, Oh, I waited like three days and doesn't have, I, he didn't have a problem. Okay. Um, but I didn't want it to come back in the experiment. Like, yeah, both of these taste acrid. Like there's, there's a pro or, right. or that being the thing that gives one of them away. Right. right is right. that the, the acrid character. So I think that'd be a fun one for the future. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, what's, 
it, so when you're toasting your oats, you're going to smell this. I mean, I, I it, it is yes, it is yeah. so obvious. I mean, I, I thought it was good. My wife, not so much. In fact, she made me promise not to use our kitchen for that ever again. <laughs> it, 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 it was like the entire house smelled like like not burnt, but this acrid oat thing for... No, it's like oil. It smells we, like oil. Yeah, yeah, and we had to, we have a whole house fan. It's They're common in, in where we live, and we had to open up the windows, turn the fan on, suck all that air out. I mean, it was it was pretty strong. It was pungent stuff. So um, anyway, the beer came out tasting really good and ended up scoring, I think, second place in the competition out of like 14, 15 people. Um, yes. so, so, you know, I was convinced then that toasting those oats contributed these positive qualities to the beer. You know, um, I don't, I can't say for sure if it really did. An English mild is one of those styles where, you know, maybe it's not traditionally used. Toasted oats aren't traditionally used in it, but I feel like it is a very complimentary flavor uh, to to add to styles like brown ale, uh, you know, most British beers, uh, those things that you want a richer malt complexity that's maybe a little bit different than what you would get from barley. Yeah, I after having the brown ales um, that we that I made for this, I wouldn't hesitate necessarily to try this out in like a Scottish heavy or a wee heavy, uh, maybe an English barley wine. Obviously, porters, stouts, brown ales, those things all come to mind. Uh, I and again, like you know, we we see oats used in a pretty wide. We see a ton of them. Obviously, Nipa is the new style. Yeah, that's super yeah. high in. Um, don't know if it would be super as appropriate there. Maybe toasted. Uh, but, yeah. Do, yeah, exactly, toasted oats. Uh, but you know, I mean, an oatmeal stout, of course. Like we we know that for sure. But yeah. Also, like there's IPAs with with a decent percentage of flaked oats in yeah. them, and I would be I'd just be interested to see how it plays on those. But I I would probably lean more into if I had to like make some kind of an argument, I would lean more into it being appropriate for things like Scottish heavy, uh, English mild is definitely up there. Yeah, porters, all that stuff. Yep, absolutely. Well, you were interested to test it out for yourself, and that's exactly what you did. Results from a fascinating experiment uh, after this short break. The brew in a bag method has blown up over the last few years, and in that time, it's become very clear that not all bags are created equal. For the best BIAB experience, you have got to go with the brew bag. Made from high-quality, food-safe polyester, the brew bag is available in both 210 micron for standard brew in a bag, as well as 400 micron, which works beautifully for all-in-one recirculating systems. I've been a brew bag user for years and wouldn't brew without it. Head over to brewinabag.com to get the fabric filter that works for you and use promo code TBP17 at checkout out to receive a discount. Again, that's brewinabag.com. Have you ever thought about adding a port to your kettle but held off because you didn't feel like drilling into your gear or sending it off to have someone else do it? From the makers of the world's fastest counterflow chiller, the Exchillerator, comes the Hangover. The easiest way to add extra ports to your kettle as well as countless other options. Mount a faucet to your keg for easy portable pouring. Set up the perfect whirlpool arm. Hold a heating element in place. All of this and so much more without permanently modifying your gear. Manufactured right here in the United States, The Hangover offers brewers too many convenient solutions to list here. So head over to Exchillerator.com today to see what The Hangover can do for you. As every brewer knows, the best beer requires the best hops, which Yakima Valley Hops provides fresh from the source to brewers around the world, carrying everything from classics like Cascade to modern favorites like Galaxy and Mosaic, as well as other ingredients and gear, Yakima Valley Hops has it all. And don't forget to check out their new podcast, The Late Edition, where the YVH crew goes into depth on our favorite plant with industry experts. Head over to YakimaValleyHops.com now to see all they have to offer and subscribe to The Late Edition wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Craftmaster Growlers takes traveling with and sharing beer to a new level. Made from heavy-duty stainless steel, Craftmaster Growlers are double-wall insulated and can keep beer cold for up to eight hours. Unlike typical growlers, Craftmaster Growlers come with a swiveling tap and fully integrated CO2 regulator cap, allowing beer to stay fresh for two weeks or more. The square design takes up less space and will fit in most refrigerator doors, and every Craftmaster Growler comes with a one-year warranty. There are 64 and 128-ounce versions available over at CraftmasterGrowlers.com. Given my experience using toasted oats in an English mild that ended up tasting quite good and uh, scoring well in competition, I was pretty confident it had a noticeable and, in this case, positive impact. Matt, you were interested to see for yourself how toasting oats affects beer, and you put it to the test. 
I did. And uh, like we said before, I, I ended up just going with a brown ale recipe. Uh, I was actually originally going to do an oatmeal style because that's kind of the first thing I think of when I think of an oatmeal recipe. But uh, I got some excellent feedback uh, from Chino uh, and I was kind of like gut checking myself on best practices, styles, all that stuff. And ended up uh, after his advice and feedback landing on a brown ale that's using like a pretty high percentage of flaked oats uh, where it might just be more noticeable as opposed to like an oatmeal stout where the roasted characters and all that stuff might contribute to uh, the like being able to not pick it up or something yeah, like that. Yeah, cover it um, up or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so after going through that, I landed on this. Uh, I landed on this brown ale recipe that is about 65 percent uh, pale ESB pale malt. Um, so uh, just a malt from Gambrinus. Uh, pretty good. Just fantastic malt. I really enjoy it. Um, about five and a half percent brown malt which is growing on me as a malt recently uh i was for some reason like super opposed in the history of my brewing but like now i now it's fantastic um i think my tastes are just changing but five and a half percent c c120 about three percent pale chocolate malt and then a whopping 21 uh percent flaked oats uh and one of these batches like we've said uh was just straight flaked oats uh it was the it was just like quakers instant oats that i had purchased from the store and then the other had the toasted oats that had been toasted in the oven for like two hours um at that 375 degrees fahrenheit or uh or 100 or 300 degrees fahrenheit and 149 degrees c uh and both then again, like I put them in a paper, I put both the toasted oats and the not toasted oats in independent paper bags. I didn't want it to come back like, well, one of these was stored in a sealed container and one right. of these was in a paper bag for three weeks. So I ended up, they were both in a paper bag for three weeks. So on brew day, uh, filled the, filled the systems with water, ended up mashing at about 152 degrees Fahrenheit or 67C for 60 minutes, did a, a pretty straightforward boil for 60 minutes, used about 10 gr- um, grams of magnum at 60 minutes just for bittering, uh, and then 19 grams of EKG at 15. And then after the boil, bo- chilled both warts, ended up with an identical uh, original gravity of about 1050. So right where I wanted to be for the beer, racked them both to sanitize fermenting kegs and did a direct pour of the Imperial yeast AO nine pub, which I believe is the fuller strain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fermented those at 65 degrees Fahrenheit um, or 18 C for about two weeks before taking hydrometer measurements and found that both of them were about uh, 1009 for the final gravity. Yeah. Perfect. Pressure transferred those beers uh, into serving kegs, burst car, Carbonated, and I had them conditioning for about two weeks before they were evaluated by our uh, by myself. Actually, this was one of our first uh, our first COVID experiments that unfortunately I had made prior to being uh, confined to my home. <laughs> so I would, I'd like full intention of doing this with a larger group, uh, doing it with uh, a bunch of people. But unfortunately, uh, just before I was ready to uh, serve it, it I got uh, locked away. Now, so it's just me. A comment on our... <laughs> for, for those of you who listened, to, we just put this survey out, by the way, and the data's coming in. We actually... There's a, quite a few people who listen to the who listen to the podcast who don't actually read the articles on the website, which I'm glad you're able to digest this information some other way. Uh, but we do... During the whole COVID thing, we've had to revert to... Um, or resort to uh, doing our own evaluations, which is uh, admittedly, in my opinion, kind of stupid, but it's, it's the best we've got. <laughs> so the way that we do this, just to get it out, you know, so people understand how we do, or what the effort that we put into keeping ourselves as, as least biased as possible is we have four cups, two of the two cups are marked on the bottom, right? So they're all the same color cups, two are marked. Each set of cups gets uh, filled to the same level with the different beers. So you've got two beers in one or, or one beer in two cups, the other beer in the other two cups. And then we randomize those and select three of them and try to find the odd one out in those three. So uh, it's not perfect, but it is it is better than not having brewing content in our opinion. And that's why we do it this way. We are very excited to get back to normal data collection as soon as possible. But uh, that is the way we do it. We go through a series of 10 triangle test attempts. So Matt, in your 10 attempts, how many times were you able to identify the odd beer out? 
So out of those 10, I was able to identify it seven times, which is the exact amount of times we would uh, need to say for me to be able to reliably distinguish those brown ales from one another, from one toasted with uh, made with toasted oats versus one made with not toasted oats. Uh, that's seven times. So that is seven out of 10 times when you're when you're sitting down over 45 minutes and doing these triangle tests. That is that, that that's good odds that these beers are are characteristically different. Now, is it a stout versus a pilsner? No. Um, yeah, it wasn't 10 for. 10 like that's something right. that stands out to me is that like i i definitely uh honestly like having having both of them and then doing it because of course this was semi-blind right yeah um i i know the variable i know these beers and then the i i enjoyed both beers a lot but uh having them like fully sighted right like knowing which keg was which i did have a like i felt like i had a slight preference for the non-toasted oats version i i thought it was cleaner um i thought it was like a more drinkable beer i thought huh. the toasted oats version was good but it was like kind of a cookie like character to it it wasn't unpleasant it's just like wasn't what i wanted in this brown ale yeah um and but then like sitting down to do the experiment uh seven for ten it's it's not like saying seven for 10 is not as different as saying I have a clear preference for one of these, mm-hmm. because if I had a clear preference, I should probably be 10 for 10. Like I would hope. Right. But it's uh, again, like palate fatigue, palace, all that stuff. Like it goes into it. But, uh, and, and, you know, my preference was what my preference was for those uh, when they were cited, but yeah, seven, seven for 10. I was kind of surprised by that to be yeah. honest. Well, and, and you mentioned that you both batches were good. I mean, this is the, this yeah, is, we absolutely. dig into the subjectivity of preference, right? If we're forced to choose which one to drink, you would choose the, the non-toasted one, but you enjoyed both of them just fine. It's not like you would turn the absolutely. toasted oats version away. No, I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. And I think that there would be beers that I would actually prefer that cookie-like character to it. Uh, it's just like that specific brown ale. I, I just preferred the one that was uh, cleaner and I thought more drinkable. Did, did you... So you're, we keep using the cookie-like descriptor. Um, is that really what you... what you? Because you, again, we're biased. You know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes our expectations guide our perceptions. Oh, yeah. Is that what you would say? Because I'm referring back to my... Again, the only beer I ever put toasted oats <laughs> in before was this English Mild. And that is what I perceived as well. It was, it was like oatmeal cookies. And I loved it in the mild, you know? I don't know. So here's the thing. I think... I don't think if you like had an oatmeal cookie and then you had the uh, the um, like had that brown ale that you would think oh yeah these taste like one another. I think that you would. I think having the brown ale is like there are characteristics that are reminiscent of an oatmeal cookie, sure. which is just which is just I think the toasted oats. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think yeah. it's that specific character. Like it's not. Uh, oh, I, I don't think cookie like in regards to it being overly sweet. Right. Um. I don't think cookie like in terms of it being like like not a pastry beer. Like it's not like a dessert like beer because of these toasted oats. But I think just the toasted oat characteristic is reminiscent of the toasted oats and cookies. Yeah. It gives the impression of exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I do think that's accurate though. Like it was more, uh, definitely like some nutty characteristic to it. Um, I wouldn't quite say maybe biscuity. I wouldn't say biscuity. I would more say that cookie like, or just like the toasted oat character. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's specifically, it tastes like toasted oats, which is why the cookie. Tastes <laughs> like. Well, did you notice any differences in head retention in color of the head of anything? No, in so appearance? These, these beers uh, looked exactly the same. Um, there, there was, I think there was some lighting problems in my, like, there's always lighting problems in my photos. Yeah, we are not I'm photographers very, professionally. That's for sure. Yeah. Malcolm kind of is. He's, <laughs> I love his beer photos. He always does such, I've like asked him for advice before. Like it's, <laughs> my, my photos are not great, but the, I, I had no differences in head retention, no differences in the appearance of the head or the quality of the head, uh, no difference in the color of the beer or the clarity or anything like that. It was really just in the, uh, not even as much in the aroma. It was more so just in the care, the flavor of the beer that I saw the primary difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's fascinating. And after this experience for you, having compared uh, flake oats, non-toasted to toasted, what are your thoughts now about, are you going to be toasting oats again in the future? And if you do, or if you were too, uh, is there specific styles now, again, based on your experience here that you would use them in over others? Yeah, I think that uh, based on this, I would definitely toast oats again, but I would probably do so for, I would start trying it in the barley wine, start trying it in huh. an imperial stout or a uh, an oatmeal stout. Um, I would lean more into those styles. I'd probably use less. I probably wouldn't use the 20% that I did. I'd probably have, like reduce it a little bit to like 15% maybe sure. um, and just use a little bit less and start going there as like a guiding principle uh, to then tweak, tweak that recipe based on it. Um, but 
honestly, like for a brown ale, I'll pro- I mean, I'm going to use flaked oats. I use a bunch of flaked oats. Like you said earlier, I'm kind of interested in like flaked. I use a lot of flaked rye as well. Um, and I would like to see like toasted flaked rye, I think might be fun uh, just to see what that contributes and what that's like. Uh, but as far as like the toasted flaked oats specifically, I'm, I would lean into porters, English barley wines, sure. brown ales, oatmeal yeah. stouts, or not the brown ales, but the oatmeal stouts. Yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. There's the there's this richness contributed by the toasting of flaked oats. And uh, and I picked it up in my English mild as well. So I, I had mentioned earlier that my my main reason for toasting the oats that I put into this English mild was that I wanted it to stand out. Uh, to the to the judges and that that is when you're competing that's a common recommendation you want you want that beer to be almost a caricature of the style that you're aiming because you want it to be different enough for the for the judges to go huh (laughs) I noticed that one right yeah the most imperial stouty imperial yeah like right like that's I think Chris Colby has a really good article on that actually like it's just standing out in competition it's hard (laughs) it's hard to do exactly and and so my thinking back this was a long time ago but thinking back on that beer I recall sitting in the garage and having you know pulling pulling pints of it off for the guys and and uh, talking about it and some of my judge friends were over saying you know in, in, if you're judging it next to other beers I could see how this would stand out but there was this richness to it that made it less um, uh, less crushable if you will you know you're not going to sit and pound pint after pint like you typically would with a cleaner English mild um, and so there there you know to me especially seeing that you were able to distinguish these beers a brown ale even uh, made with toasted oats I, I can't say that I'm going to be well my wife first off won't let me to- toast oats in the house anymore so there's that there's that uh, barrier, but at the same time, I'm I'm not sure I'll be. I, I would. There's not many styles that I could see myself using it in, um, you know, because I'm that richness is not something that I typically go for. Now, if I'm going for an imperial stout, if I'm making an imperial brown ale, something like that, porter, I could definitely see the toasted oats contributing that, that added layer of flavor that could be really desirable, really nice. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's room for it. I think it's a cool practice. I would love to, again, like I'm planning on uh, at some point doing the uh, the toasted oats fresh versus toasted oats in a bag for three weeks thing. Yeah. But I'm, uh, I, and again, I'll probably store those all in a bag for three weeks and then toast them day <laughs> of and a, a limited variable. But, but definitely, um, you know, I honestly... I think there's room for it. I'm not like super enthused by it all. Right. Uh, and it was another step I had to do. So I probably won't do it too frequently <laughs> if I'm being honest, but I think there's room for it. Yeah. Yeah. There, well, we got a lot of reader comments on this one. And uh, in fact, it, it, it kind of brought out some questions that I'm not even sure we have the answers to, but we're going to go through them anyways. First one comes from reader Brendan. Uh, he says, what about the flaking process causes enzyme denaturation? Uh, are, or de- yeah, denaturation. Are they doing more than just flattening the oat kernel that's a good question brandon i don't know the answer i don't know the answer to that no frankly i don't frankly i don't know the uh i don't know i don't know nearly enough about the process unfortunately i wish i wish i could provide a better answer for that and actually i will uh i will commit to doing some research on it but yeah off the cuff i unfortunately can't answer that one yeah yeah i'm not i'm certainly no uh flaking expert either but um i my understanding again is is it does it is it the denaturing of the enzyme uh that it that the flaking process does my understanding and maybe that is and I'm just my, my you know my ability to talk about it just isn't isn't very good I don't know <laughs> um, the next comment comes from C Law he says what's the reason for leaving the oats to sit for three weeks in baking I normally use them right away go ahead Matt we kind of touched on this a yeah, bit yeah we, we talked about this but just to reiterate it's essentially that during the the baking um, and again like you'll smell it if you make oatmeal cookies mm-hmm. um, it's it's there is that kind of acrid smell like that kind of oil like smell um, and the idea is that those volatile oils will dissipate over time if you are if you let them sit in that paper bag for three weeks, right? That you're able to uh, not have those pass on to con- uh, contribute anything to the beer, um, and that that's the reason. Now, in terms of baking, I've actually. Um, I know people who like do actually pick up that oil character and fresh, uh, freshly made uh, oatmeal cookies. Huh. Um, and and I do think actually it still is present now. Whether or not it, is, I think they probably have a chance to dissipate. Um, and I again, like that's an experiment I want to see done, but that would be the reasoning behind it. And I wanted to make sure that that wasn't a problem for this experiment. No, no, of course not. You follow the 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 norm, you know. And exactly, I will say uh, the the paper bag thing. When 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 I was talking with Derek about his, his method for toasting oats, 
he, his thing was you got to use a paper bag. You can't just throw them back in uh, you know, like a plastic bag or something like that. Yeah. And the two reasons that, that I was told for this uh, was one, the paper bag will absorb those oils. And sure enough, when I, when I did it, there were tiny little spots on the paper bag that you could see, you know, little grease spots. Um, and it wasn't huge. It wasn't crazy, but they were there. But then the other idea is that paper bags are somewhat breathable. And so it's not going to, you're not going to lock in any moisture that, that, you know, and, and have have those uh, uh, flake dotes potentially get soft or anything like that. The paper right. bag really is essential is what I was told. I, I see no reason not to use a paper bag. Um, and, and But that, that's, again, that's on top of letting them sit for three weeks. You, you don't want to leave them tied up in a, in a plastic bag is what I was told. So yeah. next comment comes from Eric Branchad, uh, who says, thanks for another great experiment. You're welcome, Eric. Appreciate your uh, support. He says, I brew an oatmeal brown ale that is similar to this one uh, as one of my house beers a couple times a year. I haven't tried toasting my oats, but I'll probably give it a try this fall when I brew it with some vanilla. I'm glad mm. it's worth the effort. Ooh, a vanilla oat brown ale. That actually sounds really nice for, for an autumn beer. <laughs> yeah, that does sound good. I, uh, I definitely think that Again, like I, I would be interesting to see how the vanilla plays with it. Um, I will. The only thing I'll hook onto in the comment is I, I'm looking forward to knowing. Like Eric, reach out. Let me know if it was uh, worth it for you. Like that's kind of the thing. Is like I don't necessarily want to say that it was worth it because uh, I didn't prefer I didn't prefer it in this brown ale yeah. for sure. Uh, now whether or not it has an impact, I think there's this is at least some evidence, like one one piece of evidence in this one beer and all that good stuff uh, that that there is a uh, that there is potentially a beer contribution from toasting of oats yeah and i hope that you prefer it uh but definitely i wouldn't take any of the any experiment result where there is a difference uh found like from our method that it means one method is better or worse than another uh so let me know how it went man and vanilla sounds like a great idea it's a cool plan yeah yeah I, I, now i'm thinking about this beer that eric maybe he's brewed it already i don't know but i but, would imagine so it's been yeah a yeah it's been a bit uh but but i'm thinking like what would i do if i were to if i were to be adding vanilla and and using toasted oats i'd probably go with 18 to 20 percent toasted oats um and in terms of other grains. I'm not going to go terribly roasty. It's a brown ale, obviously. Probably do some like uh, pale pale chocolate to add a nutty thing to it. Uh, get some regular chocolate malt blended in there. And then I think for me, I'm thinking again, all I'm doing is thinking back to that English mild. For me, the flavor that I got from the toasted oats, it's not something that I think would work very well with, you know, modern American or new world hops, nothing fruity. But something almost like a noble hop, like a spicy mm. character, uh, maybe a touch of floral, but that spicy, earthy thing, maybe some fuggle. Um, that that actually sounds like it could work out pretty well. Uh, yeah. I, I'm excited. To, hopefully, Eric still listens to the show and can tell us if he brewed this or not. Yeah, I definitely think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Honestly, now you've got me thinking, like, what would you do with it? I personally, I would. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I would. I, I think. Personally, like, yeah, pale chocolate stands out. Like, I really like pale chocolate and, like, a really small amount of vanilla. Um, I really, like, I like vanilla, like, salt. Like, I don't like to just taste vanilla straight up in a beer. I like, like, hints of vanilla. Yes. So it might be, it'd be cool to see, like, uh, what that, how that ends up becoming like a, kind of its own unique beer. Like yeah. that'd be really cool to taste. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, next comment comes from Resilient Cat. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's probably not the person's real name. Uh, I feel like that toasty cookie flavor sounds like it would be absolutely beautiful in a milk stout, maybe with some raisins as well. Mm -hmm. Is that too much? Hey, listen, I, I don't see. So the way that my brain works when it comes to adding flavors to beer is if you can get it from one of the four main ingredients, so water, malt, you know, hops and uh, yeast, then there's no reason to add it, you know, regularly. So to me, mm -hmm. Special B is raisins. If you add, if you use like 3% special B in a beer, you're going to get raisin character. At least that's what I get. Pruny kind of raisin character. Is that too much? I don't think so, Resilient Cat. Uh, to me, <laughs> <laughs> to me, that toasty cookie flavor certainly does sound like it would pair well with a milk stout. Um, and maybe, ju maybe just toss in 2-3% special B and see how it goes. I was actually going to say earlier, I do think um, when I do like vanilla typically is... Uh, with lactose. Um, I think like just a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of lactose and milk stout ends up being really good. Yeah. Uh, so that sounds like that actually sounds like a good plan. Like if I were to do this again, I, that would be a good way to try it is like do a milk stout with, um, with, with a little bit of lactose, a little bit of vanilla and to do toasted oats and just see how that goes. Yeah. That, that'd be a fantastic. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I want some right now. 
resilient cat. <laughs> you should be ashamed. <laughs> Way too much. Do you? Is that in your notes? Is that in your notes for this episode that you're going to make that comment? No, I promise that was off the off the cuff there. I just right. love Super Troopers. I don't believe it. I know uh, you. All right. Final comment comes from Diego Estevez. He says, I recently brewed a cream ale with a vanilla infusion and some extra hops to balance the sweetness from the vanilla. The cookie-like flavor you mentioned actually sounds like an interesting addition to this beer's character, although the color might not be one of a cream ale anymore. I actually don't think it would, it would change the color too much, Diego. And also, do, just do note that so far we've had three comments that are all, when, when in speaking of toasted oats, are talking about adding it along with other stuff, uh, adulterants, if you will, uh, to bring out certain uh, sweeter cookie-like characteristics of beer. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I do think, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's one of those things like where we start to like tweak and like mess with adjuncts a little bit more. Um, and so, and I get that, like that makes total sense. The a cream ale bit is interesting. Like I would actually really like to try a, uh, a cream ale with like a really high percentage of flaked oats. Um, or like I really want to, I've been meaning to make, um, like a lager with a really high percentage of flaked oats yeah. um, or like, a, or oat malt just to like kind of play around and see what it, the contribution is. Um, but I think all these comments we've had recently are kind of spot on. Like I think a little bit of vanilla would be pleasant. Um, definitely like the toasting oat character. Um, I, I think there's a lot of room to experiment with it. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, the, the curious part of me would love to, to taste a beer that's made with, you know, 20% toasted oats and then just, you know, Pilsner malt. Um, yeah. That would be, I, 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 it, that could be potentially really good. I did hear recently, maybe it was, um, what brewery was it? I think on the East Coast made a oatmeal Pilsner or something like that. Um, and that sounded really interesting sounds and delicious. Yeah. It, and, and I'm t- the reviews on it that I, that I was reading, I think it was on Facebook. Sounds like people really enjoy it. So there's, you know, there's a lot that can be done with oats. I made a, uh, what I thought was a really good kettle soured Berliner Weiss that was not, didn't use uh, wheat. I used a flaked oats instead. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, yeah, you got that kind of thicker mouthfeel for a low ABV beer. I thought it paired really well with it and it added, they weren't toasted oats, but it did add this, this unique, different characteristic to the beer that people found to be quite pleasant. So mm-hmm. if you're into toasting or if you're into oatmeal in general, toast some up, see what it, you know, how it works. And, uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get away with creating a new style for yourself that you end up loving. But, uh, for now, I think that about covers it for toasted oats and brewing, Matt, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, I think this covers everything. It was a lot, it was a really fun experiment. I think there's room to explore it as we move forward. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have, uh, put this, push one, put this one back on the shelf for future love. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating experiment and uh, fascinating results. In my opinion, you can read more about the experiment we discussed by clicking the link to the article on brewlosophy.com in the description of this episode. The Brewlosophy podcast is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors, as well as all of our rad listeners. We seriously could not do this without you. Cheers to everyone who has subscribed and left a review of our show. It makes a huge difference. If you haven't yet, please consider doing so. Head over to brewlosophy.com support to view a list of ways you can easily help us to continue producing this podcast. If you want a reward for your support, visit patreon.com brewlosophy. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Brewlosophy podcast. Until then, think beer. Start off the morning with some hot tea, lemon and honey, cause it soothes my bro. Put some herb in the bowl, yeah, it's homegrown. Ain't gotta go through the middle man no more.